0: Good morning, welcome, welcome, welcome. Glad that you guys are here, and I'm excited about continuing our our five-week conversation about mental health. But hey, before we do that, I've got some exciting news to share. This past week, because of your faithful giving, we had an opportunity to spend $15,000. We sent it straight down to Florida to support the relief efforts from the hurricane. Man, we just want to say thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to do that, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We gave this money to an organization known as IDES, I-D-E-S, that's International Disaster and Emergency Services. You can look them up on Facebook. Uh, But man, they are working through a local church and 100% of the money is being used to help people in need. So thank you so much. And know when you partner with Northridge Through Giving, you're linking up with a whole lot of people that are coming together to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. Jesus. If you want to make giving part of your worship experience, just scan that QR code in the seat pocket in front of you or head out to one of our giving stations out in the lobby after the service. Hey, last week we kicked off this series and we we spent some time debunking four myths about mental health. And what I want us to do is I want us to revisit those things now so that we can approach today's subject with common ground. Okay, so let's, let's revisit this list. Here's the first one. Christians do not or should not struggle with mental health challenges. Somebody say, yes, they do. Yes, Yes, they do, they absolutely do. Because the thing is, when we have a relationship with Jesus, it transforms our lives, but it does not make us immune to the problems of the world. Here's the second myth that we debunked. Mental health is not addressed in the Bible. Somebody look at me and say, yes, it does. Yes, it does. As we're going to see today, the Bible is full of story after story after story that provides wisdom and and guidance and even encouragement for people like us who struggle with their mental health. Here's the third myth. Mental health challenges disqualify us from being used by God. Some might say, no, they don't. There is no problem we face. There is no burden we carry. There is no diagnosis that we have that our God cannot redeem and use. Amen? Amen. All right, here's the fourth myth. I'm alone in my struggle. Somebody say, no, I'm not. See, we had these banners out in the lobby and this was a cool idea because it allows you every time you come in and leave this place on a Sunday morning, you're reminded that there are other people in this room, other people in this church, other people in this community that struggle just like you do. You are not alone. But even more importantly than that, the Bible tells us that God is always with us because he cares about us. Listen, with that out of the way, one by one, we're going to begin walking through this series and and knocking down some of the things that threaten our mental health. And the first one that we're going to be talking about today is depression. Let's start off with a quote by a guy named Charles Spurgeon. I quoted him last week. He was known as the Prince of Preachers in the 1800s, and he was very open about his struggle with mental health and specifically with depression. This is what he says. The mind can descend far lower than the body, for in it there are bottomless pits. The flesh can bear only a certain number of wounds and no more, but the soul can bleed in 10,000 ways and die over and over again each hour. And this guy was way ahead of his time and how he addressed this issue, but he says physical pain has limits. He said, but depression does not. You see, depression is a pit that just keeps going. It's a, it's a pain that just keeps growing. It's an obstacle that prevents many people from experiencing life to the fullest. Let me give you some statistics from John Hopkins Medicine. Approximately 9.5% of American adults will suffer from a depressive illness each year. Okay, That's about 1 in 10 Major depression can develop at any age, but the average age at onset is the mid-20s, okay? And women, sorry, you are nearly twice as likely to suffer from major depression than men. Listen, as I said last week, I'm not an expert on mental health, I'm not a psychologist in any way, some of you are going through a battle that, that you're going to need so much more than a 25-minute sermon or a five-week series to, to really dive into and engage with. Some of you are going to need to talk to a doctor or a therapist. Listen, please know that getting help is a sign of wisdom, not weakness. But listen, whether your battle with depression requires additional tools and resources or whether it's, it comes in short circumstantial bursts, and we can all benefit from some biblically proven strategies and principles to engage in this battle better. So what we're gonna do today is we're gonna dive into a story in First Kings chapter 19, and we're gonna learn from the surprising battle of an Old Testament prophet named Elijah. Now listen, you may remember Elijah, because we just talked about him a couple months ago. We, we talked about some of his successes in life. You see, he's a guy who God uses to multiply resources and to raise a child from the dead. He's a guy that that shows up and calls fire down from heaven so that he can prove that his God is the one true living God. Elijah is a guy who God empowers to summon or withhold the rain. This guy has an impressive resume. And at the end of chapter 18, everything is going well for him. You see, the bad guys are dead, the nation of Israel is on their face giving glory and honor to God, and the drought is over. But as we flip the page into 1 Kings chapter 19, something happens, and we see Elijah go from this all-time high to this all-time low. Let's look at what alters his mood in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 3. It says, now Ahab, okay, that's the king, he told Jezebel, his wife, everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. Now listen, under normal circumstances, this makes sense, right? I mean, this woman has a reputation for doing some incredibly barbaric things in the name of of revenge against the people who oppose her. But we know from the rest of the story that Elijah is not a normal opponent, and this is not a normal circumstance, You see, God has demonstrated a willingness to use Elijah in some pretty incredible ways and to protect him while he does them. There's nothing, absolutely nothing that can stand against this guy. Not the weather, not hundreds of opponents with the favor of the queen, not physics, not even death. Elijah's entire ministry is defined by bold and decisive action, but right here he becomes really really afraid. What is he afraid of? Or is fear just the manifestation of something that's going on deep inside of him? Let's look at what happens in verses 3 through 5. It says when he when Elijah came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush, and he fell asleep. Listen, this has been an incredibly long and difficult journey for Elijah over the past three years. You know, he has survived. Not only has he survived, he has won, but sometimes winning can be just as exhausting as losing. Sometimes the pressures of success can drain you at an even deeper level than the frustration of failure. You see, Elijah is depleted. He is tired. He's in such a bad place mentally that he's willing to give up not only his calling, but his entire life. After winning one of the greatest battles in all of human history, Elijah is depressed. Here's the first thing I want us to take away from this story together. Depression doesn't always make sense. Depression doesn't always make sense. Depression is not always linear or logical. It doesn't always follow the rules. It doesn't always fight fair. It may show up in moments of opposition, it may show up in moments of support, it may show up in moments of success, and it may show up in moments of failure. It may show up in grief, or loneliness, or fear, or busyness, or idleness, or exhaustion, or any other circumstance that we face in a normal day. See, seemingly out of nowhere, we may find ourselves um, disengaging and, and dissociating with others. We may find ourselves irritable and short with people. We may feel fatigue or restlessness. We may cry or even wish that our lives would end. Listen, when that happens, it's important to remember that we are not hopeless. We are not broken. We are human. Even the biblical heroes that we celebrate on Sunday are not immune from these kinds of struggles. Listen, the rest of Elijah's story is going to give us some strategies so, to equip us to better engage in this battle. The first one is found in verses five through eight. This is what it says All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time, and he touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up. He ate and he drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. I bet you didn't know that God's angels worked for DoorDash. Listen, Elijah was not running and hiding because he lacked courage. Elijah was running and hiding because his courage was malnourished. He had been working so hard. He had been working so long that he had neglected his basic needs. God meets him in that place, and I want you to hear the tone of his voice here. He doesn't shame Elijah, he doesn't scold Elijah, he meets him in that place with care and concern, and he simply says, get up and eat. Why? Because in that moment, the most spiritual thing that Elijah could do was to take care of himself. Here's the first strategy, when a wave of depression hits us, simply this, rule out the basics. When you find yourself in a dark place, rule out the basics. Are you tired? Are you hungry? Do you need some time alone? Do you need some time with others? Do you need a day off? Do you need to do something active? Do you need to spend some time outside? Listen, none of these solutions sound terribly spiritual, but sometimes the most spiritual thing we can do is take care of ourselves. Listen, my truck has this problem. I listen to Bluetooth all the time, but about once a month, the Bluetooth disconnects. And it just searches, and it searches, and it searches, and it searches, but it'll never connect. And I took it to the dealer, and I said, I got a problem, and I need you to fix this, and they wanted like $18 billion to fix it. And so I decided I was gonna find a solution. Turns out, if you take some pliers and pull out the fuse that goes to your system, and you wait a few minutes, and then you plug it back in, it'll work for another month. Why am I telling you this? Because almost everything will work again if you disconnect it from the pressures of this world for a few minutes. And that includes you. You see, a meal didn't cure Elijah's depression, but it did give him the strength to keep going. So what I wanna ask you is, what does it look like for you to disconnect? What does it look like for you to recharge? What does it look like for you to find the strength to keep going, and are you allowing yourself to do those things? Listen, this point deserves a longer conversation. Let me tell you how we're gonna help you with this. I want everybody to pull out your phone right now. Okay, everybody pull out your phone. I want you to scan that QR code in the seat pocket in front of you. And as you do that, you're gonna see a podcast that's listed on there. What we've done is we've, we've interviewed somebody, a counselor right here in the church about mental health. And I want you to listen to it on the way home. It's only about 10 minutes. Most of you live 10 minutes away. If not, drive slow. And I want you to listen to it on the way home. And at the end of that podcast, They're actually gonna invite you to register for an event that's happening right here next week at 3 p.m. It's a self-care workshop that's gonna help teach us how to to rule out the basics, how to take care of ourselves, and how to find the strength to keep going day after day after day. Let's keep reading, verses nine through 10. This is what it says. It says, there he went into a cave and he spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Listen, the basics got Elijah to this point, but right now he needs something more. You see, Elijah is spiraling deeper and deeper into depression. His words are full of self-pity. He needs another strategy to help him be strong, and God shows up and gives him one. Let's look at what he says in verses 11 through 13. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and a powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, Listen, in the cave, voices of fear, doubt, and self-pity bounce off the walls and they absolutely monopolize all of Elijah's thoughts. In the cave, he's isolated. In the cave, he's alone. In the cave, he's unaware of God's presence. So God tells him to come out and better position himself to experience reality. He tells him to alter his perspective until he realigns with God's promise. Listen, once Elijah comes out of the cave, once he alters his perspective, God speaks. He doesn't speak in the wind. He doesn't speak in the earthquake. He doesn't speak in the fire. He speaks in the gentle whisper. Listen to me. This is my favorite part of the entire message. The enemy has to shout her threats to distract Elijah because she knows she cannot destroy him. She shouts her lies because she doesn't have another weapon. But from his new perspective, Elijah realizes that God has no reason to shout. He whispers because he is close. Listen, when a wave of depression attacks, here's the second strategy that we can employ. We can change our perspective. When all we see are the problems, when all we feel is the hurt, when all we hear are the threats, we've got to change our perspective so that we can be reminded of the truth. We are more than our darkest moments. Our thoughts are not more powerful than the presence of God. He was with us in our highs and he is still with us in our lows. Listen, life is all about perspective. The sinking of the Titanic was a miracle to all the lobsters in the ship's kitchen, okay? Life is all about perspective. What does it look like for us to change our perspective? How do we do that? Well, practically, it may mean coming out of the house when we don't want to. Practically, it may mean listing all the things that we're grateful for, even when that list doesn't develop itself naturally. Practically, it may mean talking to somebody who can contradict the negative thoughts that are consuming our minds. Practically, it may mean silencing all the busyness of this world so that we can increase the decibel of God's voice. Listen, this isn't easy. It's going to take work. But I wonder if when we do these things, if maybe God is there and he's ready to whisper something to us. If he's whispering, try again you matter. This won't last forever. I've still got you in my hands. My promises are eternal. This pain is not. See, Elijah had to come out of the mountain so that he could experience God's voice. What does that look like for you? Know that God is closer than you There's one more strategy that we find in this story that, that carries Elijah into the next phase of his life. Look at what it says in verses 15 through 19. It says, the Lord said to Elijah, go back the way you came. And go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazal, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat from Abel, Mahola, to succeed you as prophet. I may have got all those names wrong, but you don't know the difference, so it's okay. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hezael, And Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. So Elijah went from there and he found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Listen, God is with Elijah on the mountain, but God doesn't want him to stay on the mountain. Now that he's heard God's voice, now that he has witnessed God's presence, now that he has fed his faith, God says, Elijah, it is time for you to get back to work. You see, Elijah is a long way from his post. He has a long journey to get back to where he's supposed to be. But I'm telling you, once he does it, once he goes back, he finds that God is there and God has been with him through it all. You see, one after another on this journey, he begins to realize that that God had a plan all along. God had a successor in mind. He had a strategy for the downfall of Elijah's enemies. Even when Elijah didn't look like an impressive man of God, God was not done with him yet. I want you to commit this to the deepest parts of your memory so that you can pull it out in your time of need. The third strategy is simply this. Know that God is not done with you yet. You still have a calling. You still have a purpose. Don't let a battle that you're currently facing stop you and hold you back from a victory that's already been won. Some tasks are gonna feel impossible until you get them done. Some days are gonna feel impossible until you get through them, but don't give up because God is not done with you yet. Listen, I wanna go off script for just a minute because I have enough time. I did youth ministry for 13 years. And I want you to know that in in the youth ministry that I was serving, one of the things that plagued that ministry was, was suicide. It plagued it on every side. For a few years, it felt like every time we turned around, it was a battle that, that our students were facing. It was, it was somebody they knew, it was somebody they loved, it was somebody that they cared about. And I read a statistic and it said the number one thing that increases suicide in a community is the prevalence of suicide. It's, it's the exposure to suicide. And so I got up on stage and I addressed it just as straightforward as I possibly could. And when I talked about it, I told our students, I said, if you've had thoughts like this, if you've struggled with this, if you've been depressed and you've considered giving up and ending it all, I want you to stay right where you are so that we can come out and talk to you, so that we can spend time with you. Guys, these are 12-year-olds to 18-year-olds and 75% of them stayed in their seats so that we could talk to them. 75% of them stayed in their seat and said, this is a struggle in my life. Let me tell you something, suicide is a permanent fix to a temporary problem. I'm not trivializing what you're going through, but I am begging you to hear me say this loud and clear, no matter who you are or what you're going through, God is not done with you yet. He still has a plan. He still has a purpose and he still wants you to keep fighting because I promise you, he wins and he's got you in his hands. Here's our sermon in a sentence When depression attacks, fight back. Depression is a battle, it is not a definition of who you are. You are more than your darkest moments, and God is closer than you think. When depression attacks, use these strategies. Let's fight back and let's trust that God is going to show up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come into your presence right now knowing that somebody in this room is struggling. God, it's not one person. There's a lot of people that are struggling. If they're not struggling with this now, there's there's a good statistical chance they're going to struggle with this at some point in their life. And so God, I pray that they hear your words through this story that God, you're with them, you love them, you care about them, you have a plan and a purpose for their life, you want them to engage in the battle, because you're going to use even this somehow. God, we turn to you in the most difficult moments of our life, in those dark places, recognizing that, God, we are not defined by those things, we are defined by who you say we are. And so, God, right now, in this moment, I pray that we'll be consumed with who you say that we are. God, I pray that you'll break down all the barriers, that you'll break down all the walls, that you'll silence all the thoughts, that you'll eliminate Satan out of this place so that we can experience the truth, that you love us, you're with us, you care about us. I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I saw a guy that was out cutting his grass the other day and, and I went up to him, he was crying and I said, I said, um, what's wrong? He said, I'm just going through a rough patch. But Okay, that was... That was my way of cutting through the tension, okay? It's what I do. Some of you are probably going through a rough patch right now. I don't know your life, I don't know your story. This whole series is about asking, how are you really doing? It's about breaking through the weather and the sports and the basic little things that we fill our conversations with and finding out what rough patch you're going through right now. If you're going through a rough patch, we want you to know that we're here. We're going to have people at the prayer stations in the front corners of the room. Just follow the light. Somebody there wants to talk with you. They want to cry with you. They want to pray with you. Maybe you say there's some things that I'm going through that I don't even feel like I can open up and share right now. We're going to have the prayer stations right here, the altars opened up so that you can come down and pray. We said last week if somebody comes forward and prays, you don't have to explain what's going on. Nobody's going to interrogate you, but somebody from this section is going to come forward they're going to put their arms on you and they're going to pray too because we want you to know that you are not alone. Listen, this is not a one-size-fits-all sermon. I don't want you to hear me saying that if you're struggling with depression, you just need to trust God more. You do need to trust God more, but you may need to reach out and get some help, too. But you need to know that as you get help, as you engage in the battle, as you embrace these strategies, God will fight for you, and God will fight with you. We're going to stand up. We're going to sing this song. If you want prayer, come forward.